Aloha. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. Today we're going to be talking to Dr. Gene Liu. He is a radiation oncologist with almost a decade of experience, and he's going to tell us a little bit about how radiation treats cancers, all the different types of cancer, how it works, how much is enough, and if there ever is too much radiation exposure. Dr. Liu works at Queen's Medical Center as an active member of the cancer team, and he is here live in the studio to share his expertise with us. Good afternoon, Dr. Liu. Good afternoon, Kathy. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for coming in. Now, radiation, a lot of people worry about that. They might hear about it, oh, if you have too many CAT scans, that's a lot of radiation. Or you don't want to be exposed to too much UVA, UVB light from the sun because that's kind of radiation. But that's not really the type of radiation we're talking about today. It's, we're talking about therapeutic radiation. Is that right? Um, in, in a general sense, yes. Um, uh, but there, there is a uh, proper level of concern regarding radiation in terms of safety. And it all comes down to, in my mind, uh, risk-benefit. So the risk is there. It's real. Um, any level of radiation exposure does increase excess cancer risk. Uh, and in a general population, you can't detect that. But you have to weigh that with the benefit. So if a CT scan is recommended uh, to detect a cancer, and that benefit would be to detect a curable disease, then I think it makes sense. Uh, I think in general people can be um, relieved to hear that the risk is relatively low for exposure. Well, and I think we never really used to worry so much about exposure. I know when I was in medical school, you know, it wasn't something that came up to the top of our minds, worry about the number of CAT scans that are done per patient. But then even through residency training in, in the last, I would say, maybe 10 years or so, we really have tried to look at how many types of scans that we do, the ones that have radiation. So, for example, MRIs, magnetic resonance imaging, no radiation. Right. CAT scans, there is radiation. There's some low-level CAT scans that have less radiation than others. And then there's standard chest x-rays. So when we think about doing some of these studies, depending on what we're looking for, there might be such a benefit in doing the study that we really have to do it because the risk is so small. Yes, exactly. Could you, and I know this is difficult to do, but could you quantify how many CAT scans would be too many? We're not talking, and, and I guess over a lifetime. We're not talking about two or three. We're talking about hundreds. This is not, this is not something where, you know, you have three scans done in 10 years. You should really ever be worried about it. Is mm -hmm. that right? Uh, yeah, the, the literature is more, uh, I think, readily accessible to diagnostic radiologists in terms of the um, exact quantity uh, of uh, the exact percentage of risk. Um, but yeah, if you were to do a full body CT uh, once uh, annually, it, it still is, is less than a percent even over decades in terms of excess cancer risk, uh, less than a percent. So really small risk. It is small. But again, mm -hmm. we all have the responsibility of, as physicians not to order uh, unnecessary scans. Uh, Absolutely. So you just, have to, you just have to make that commitment to your patients that if you're ordering a scan, it's, uh, it's the benefit outweighs the risks. Well, and I think that's why a few years ago they used to have a couple of centers where you could scan your whole body mm -hmm. just to find out what was there. Yes. And it was a cash sort of a business. And 
the plus side was you could do scans even if you had no symptoms and hey, you might catch something early. However, the minus side was that you could potentially do a lot of unnecessary scans. And although radiation is one factor, I think the bigger issue there was you could find a bunch of nothing and do a lot of tests about nothing. And some of those tests could be invasive. So a slightly different a slightly different reason why that wasn't the best business model or the, or the best yeah, thing exactly. to do. Yeah, exactly. Now, you trained and have expertise in using radiation therapeutically yes. to treat cancer. We often hear about people needing to do, quote, chemo and radiation mm-hmm. as part of cancer treatment. How does radiation kill cancer? Yeah, so uh, radiation as a therapy is very different as, than radiation as a diagnostic tool. So I use it almost as my medicine. Um, And I use these x-rays that are much higher energy, so they penetrate more deeply, and they can be focused in a way that I maximally avoid normal tissues uh, while focusing the dose over tumor. Um, Kind of in a way I think people imagine a laser to be. Um, So how radiation works is that it creates this damage to this thing in our body called DNA. And it's like the blueprint of each cell. Uh, When that DNA is damaged, um, our regular cells have a a higher capacity to repair it than cancer cells do. That's kind of how they became cancer, is that they're malfunctioning in their own repair processes. So they go haywire. Uh, You attack them with radiation, and they're a little bit less capable of repair. uh, fast-growing cells are also more sensitive to radiation than normal slow-growing cells, and that's because uh, the majority of radiation-induced cell death is due to something called mitotic catastrophe. Uh, when a cell goes to divide, that's when it recognizes that its DNA is destroyed because the DNA is the blueprint. It's the guide for a cell, and when it's going to divide, it needs to split up that DNA into two uh, children cells, uh, and that's when it recognizes, oh, wait, my DNA is destroyed, I can no longer go on, and that's how they die. So things like skin react very similar to the tumor. Um, They die very quickly in response to radiation. So if you have a cell that's trying to multiply out of the normal multiplication rate, so it's just going, like you said, going haywire. Mm -hmm. It's doubling, it's tripling, it's quadrupling, it's growing, the tumor is growing. Then as those cells try and reproduce themselves, that's when they get damaged by the radiation and they can no longer reproduce themselves. Exactly, exactly. So the goal would be to shrink a tumor, make it smaller, potentially Mm -hmm. more surgically amenable, or just kill a bunch of it so that whatever other therapy you're using can be more effective. Yes, certainly, exactly. Exactly. That's that's one of the uses. Other uses you can you can cure tumors with just radiation alone. Another is if they did the surgery already and there's risk of residual tumor cells, then you can add on radiation to the end and try to kill what's left. So in an area where you would use it to kill the entire tumor, that would essentially be done long enough over the course of several weeks or so that it would shrink the tumor to a size where it wasn't even there anymore. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, in, in the old days, it was always done uh, over several weeks. Um, uh, that's because the tissues around the tumor, you want to spare them. And so if you give too much radiation at one time, you essentially kill everything. Uh, if you give a little bit each day, well, you're taking advantage of that small difference in sensitivity to radiation that the cancer has versus normal cells. Uh, but now we're able to really hit the, t- the tumor with such precision 
that if it's small enough, we can give a huge dose in one day, and that's that's enough to kill the tumor. Um, so for things like a small lung cancer, we could give enough dose in that one day to essentially mimic a surgery uh, where that tumor dies, but the tissues around it is, didn't receive that much radiation. And for instance, in this case, the lung can go on functioning. So Does it can be a very often? short treatment. Um, early lung cancers are unfortunately the minority of lung cancers detected. Usually they're detected at a more advanced stage. So and, and, and in truth, surgery is actually the optimal treatment because they can remove an entire lobe of the lung, which is the preferred treatment. We're essentially doing a small surgery, removing a small bit of lung for patients that are less healthy and not good candidates for an aggressive lobectomy, removing the entire lobe. So lung cancer is one of the areas where people can utilize radiation therapeutically. Mm-hmm. I often hear about people who have tumors that have gone to the brain mm-hmm. that receive radiation yeah. because it's it's supposed to help shrink the size of the tumor. Mm-hmm. Is that because we don't want to put too much in the hard skull, causing extra pressure, causing other consequences to that? Or is that because the tumors are growing in areas of the brain where we would otherwise lose function, so we want to make them smaller? In that case, it may not be done one time, what is the rationale for doing brain radiation if you mm-hmm. have cancer that has gone to the brain that started somewhere else? Yeah, well, actually, you, you can do it all one time. Uh, if, it's, uh, if, it's, if it's a few areas, um, you can, again, if you can have a small area of, of, of your brain get radiation, then you can really hit it hard because we're able to focus that radiation. However, if you have a big tumor, and I mean when I say big, I mean like bigger than a few centimeters, or if you have a lot of these targets – then you can't safely spare the brain. And so you have to give a little bit each day, give a little bit less concentrated of a dose. But there is something called radiosurgery where we give all the dose in one treatment uh, for, for a brain tumor. I feel like when you said in the old days that that applied to me. All right, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Jean Liu, a radiation oncology specialist. When we come back, we're going to talk more about the different types of tumors that are well-treated with radiation and what are some of the consequences of doing radiation now that you might have to look at as you survive that tumor and continue to live decades longer. We'll be right back after this quick break. Stay with us. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors, locations, Nohea Gallery, and Straub Medical Center. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here with Dr. Jean Liu, a radiation oncology expert. And we're learning all about the ins and outs of radiation treatment, which is often done for those people who are diagnosed with cancer, and how in some cases you can get all of the treatments at once, which I got to tell you, Dr. Liu, that, that blows my mind. I mean, I guess I'm old school and I still think of people needing to come in every day, five days for four weeks or so to do radiation of particular types of tumors. So what tumors can radiation be used for? Well, radiation uh, is used for almost all cancers, but uh, it's important to note that although it's a tool in our toolbox, it's it's actually most useful for uh, for certain cancers. Uh, radiation is a success story. Uh, thankfully, in some of the most common cancers that we have. So breast cancer, it's been a success story. Um, we've really improved outcomes, and we've allowed for uh, organ preservation in breast, in breast cancer with breast conservation therapy. 
radiation's also been a success story in prostate cancer, um, yielding good outcomes and organ preservation, again, for men with, with this very, very common cancer. Um, radiation's also a good tool for organ preservation in a number of other sites. Um, I think one that comes to mind currently is this, is this cancer that's growing in incidence, which is uh, HPV-positive head and neck cancer. Uh, which has really changed in in the proportion of people with head and neck cancer. So whereas before it would be this more rare type of cancer, now it's the most common type. Uh, and um, thankfully, it just so happens that it's very sensitive to radiation therapy. Well, and I wonder, as we get to the generation who have received HPV vaccine, mm-hmm. is it the same vaccine that they may be receiving that potentially could prevent them from being at risk for these cancers? Oh, yeah. If we could switch gears for just a second, uh, people need to get vaccinated for HPV. It's uh, a, a very preventable cancer, uh, and it's one of the few vaccines you can have to prevent your children from getting cancer. Um, and if you think about it, you just need to be exposed to HPV one, HPV one time uh, to get HPV. So it has nothing to do with promiscuity, uh, with bad life changes. You get married and you have one sexual encounter with someone that has HPV and that's it. Uh, and um, so it has nothing to do with morality. I think it should be I think it should be mandatory, uh, but that's a discussion for... Yeah, I wish I could get an HPV vaccine, but I'm just too old. I think the current cutoff is like 26 or so, and so, you know, I'm far higher than 26. Well, I I can't tell, Kathy. Okay, see, I feel better already. You you were saying the the trials, they actually showed that at a certain age, it just, you know, they they accrued people, they accrued people 9 to 26 years old. That doesn't mean that above 26, you're not going to have a benefit. I think what the trials assumed is that if you're older than 26, then you've probably already been exposed because the incidence of HPV infection really is that high. If you live in an urban center, you're going to be exposed, and you should assume that your children will likely be exposed at some point in their life. It's just that most people clear the virus, um, and so only only a few people get the cancer. Um, but don't don't be fooled into thinking that your children have to be somehow morally corrupt in order to get HPV. Well, I find it, you know, kind of interesting. Again, we're diverging. Nobody mm-hmm. worries about hepatitis B vaccines in infants. Mm-hmm. And guess how that's transmitted? Yeah. Same way. Mm-hmm. Well, let's get back to radiation. So you mentioned that it is, for head and neck cancer, it is HPV-related head and neck cancer. Radiation is exquisitely helpful mm-hmm. because that cancer is very sensitive to the treatments with the radiation. So are there ever consequences when you've had radiation? I think of, you know, friends of mine or people I know or patients who have had head and neck cancers that sometimes when they've had a lot of radiation, there's a lot of external scarring or there's some other physical effects that occur. When we talk about head and neck, because I know that's an area for which you have particular expertise, what are some of the consequences to these radiation treatments? I don't think that it's done all at one dose, although, again, yeah. that it's possible. I learned that one today. No, the, the, yeah, the head and neck um, is, is always treated uh, in a less concentrated fashion, and that's because you're treating a very large area with a number of critical structures. So if you were to give that entire dose in one day, you would actually die within a few days. Because, because of all the other that things big. that yeah. you would be Such a critical, affecting. Yeah, exactly. So we have to, in, a, in essence, dilute the dose and give it to you over a longer period of time. Um, but yeah, toxicity is, I think, the probably the hardest part about being a radiation oncologist because it comes to you in such a delayed fashion. So as a physician, I think it's heartbreaking 
when a patient has what we call a late toxicity. Late toxicities are things that don't happen during the treatment. They don't even happen. They don't even have to happen a year after the treatment. They can happen multiple years after the treatment. And you're dealing with this patient that's now cured from this cancer, but they have a side effect that's affecting their quality of life years later. And um, I think it does weigh on you. Uh, if, if, uh, would you like to hear about I, I was going to say, what are some of yeah. these side effects? So if I can Don't go into like, in suspense. If I can go into like how they happen, I might help describe what these are. So uh, radiation affects cells that are growing the, the fastest, the most. You affect those cells the quickest. So skin is affected very quickly uh, because they're actively dividing. Well, what about bone? or blood vessel, things that aren't growing every single day. So those cells don't even know they have that DNA damage for months after the radiation. They're just going about doing their thing. Uh, They don't know their DNA is destroyed. Uh, But over time, they do die. And you can have bone in your jaw essentially die, and then the gums over it will recede, and then your tooth will become loose. That's osteoradionecrosis, a fancy word for death of bone due to radiation. Um, You can have your blood vessels develop scarring um, because scar tissue develops late, uh, and you can end up getting coronary artery stenosis um, late in life from the radiation. The muscles in your neck can become very uh, fibrotic, and so I always encourage patients to stretch uh, after the treatment so that they don't develop a bad posture and pain chronically. Uh, so um, we, yeah, we're, we're, I'm very cognizant of late effects of radiation. So I spend most of my follow-ups actually coaching patients on how to pre- prevent them. Well, but I think, again, we talked at the top of the show about that risk-benefit ratio. If they didn't get the treatment, they may not survive the cancer. If they do get the treatment, there may be a percentage of folks who have these latent effects of radiation therapy. But I think looking at it from the grand scheme of things, you kind of have to go for the treatment if you're dealing with a serious cancer. Now, that's what can happen in the head and neck area. What if you used radiation treatments in another area for which it's helpful, like the breast area or the prostate? Still some potential latent effects? Yeah, there are. Um, And the field is always trying to minimize those side effects. So the things that we think about the most for breast, um, so your skin can become tougher. That's thankfully not as, not as big of an, of an issue to people, but, um, uh, your bone can become weaker over time. Thankfully, it's also not as big of an issue because the risk of fracture is low. But the thing that's uh, most uh, most on my mind right now is the risk of a cardio cardiovascular event because the heart is immediately adjacent to your left breast. Um, and we now have data that suggests that each each unit of radiation given to the heart increases the risk of a cardiovascular event. And so what we do now is try to have patients, if they're treated on the left side, to take a deep breath before radiation, and so they can actually move their chest wall away from their heart. But doing so requires significant technology and requires um, this new technology called deep inspiratory breath hold. We have to make sure they're holding their breath precisely the amount that they were holding before. Um, so yeah, you're, you can end up getting you can end up getting a heart attack because of the radiation. Thankfully, that risk is relatively low. So even if you had radiation. Before we had this technology, the risk is still relatively low. But the, the heart, I think, is the thing that stands out most to me. Uh, and everybody can't – you can get cancer from radiation. I think that's the one that scares people the most when I mention it. Uh, that risk is about 5 out of 1,000. Um, now, that 
that's not small and it's not big. It's about 0.5%. Um, the earliest it can happen is around seven to eight years. Uh, it usually happens around 15 to 20 years. And uh, the thing I just tell patients about that is that that's, you know, that's a cancer that can happen years down the road, uh, but you have a cancer now. So if we're recommending radiation, it's because we believe that the risks outweigh the benefits. Oh, sorry, the benefits outweigh the risks. Um, and so and we, we all have that responsibility to our patients that we should not recommend radiation unless it's necessary. Absolutely. I don't know of too many people that would because it's certainly mm-hmm. a difficult type of treatment mm-hmm. and it's time intensive and labor intensive yeah. and, and they wouldn't want to do it. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Jean Liu from Queens Cancer Center talking about radiation and how this is used to treat cancer. When we come back, we're going to talk some more about some of the successes that we've seen with radiation treatment. We'll be right back. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors Inter-Island Solar Supply, Kaiser Permanente, and Hastings and Pleadwell, a communication company. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Gene Liu. He is a radiation oncologist with almost a decade of experience, and he's right here in Honolulu at Queens Cancer Center, and we're talking about radiation. So we hear about people who get diagnosed with cancer, Dr. Liu, and they are treated with chemotherapy and radiation. Does it ever matter which one comes first? Are they done simultaneously? I kind of say those two things together, but Are they done all the time for the same people or certain tumors respond and which one goes first? Yeah, so uh, within medicine, we have three big tools within our toolbox, um, and that's surgery, um, uh, systemic therapy, which is essentially medicine, uh, and it can be chemotherapy. Chemotherapy just means chemical therapy, um, but I think it's been – People kind of think of it as a certain certain types of systemic therapy are called chemotherapy now, but under that realm also include things like immunotherapy, where you harness your immune system. Uh, so systemic therapy, medicines, and then the third one would be uh, radiation therapy. Um, and so the way I try to tell med students how they're ordered is: don't get bogged down by the order. Each cancer has its own order. And sometimes there's no real rhyme or reason at just how the field chronologically over time arrived at the best combination, and that's how we do it now. So you can have surgery, chemo radiation, surgery, chemotherapy, and radiation in any order. You can have the surgery first, followed by chemo and radiation. You can have surgery first, followed by chemo, followed by radiation. You can have chemo, followed by surgery, followed by radiation, followed by chemo. There are uh, any number of combinations. Uh, when you do chemotherapy with radiation, typically – uh, you're having a, you're asking the chemotherapy to do something different. Um, when you do the chemotherapy with radiation, you're asking the chemotherapy to make the cancer cells more vulnerable to radiation. Um, so the dose is usually smaller. Uh, whereas if you give chemotherapy on its own, you're asking it to do all the heavy lifting. Uh, you're essentially asking it to kill the cancer all by itself. Um, and so in in general, the dose is typically a bit higher. Um, uh, and, and, and that way, if you think about it, radiation is, is a bit like surgery. We're, we're focused. We're local therapies. Um, and uh, we're, we're a little bit less like, like chemotherapy. Chemotherapy is very unique and can do a lot of things that, that, that radiation or surgery can't. 
So it really seems like it depends on the tumor that decides what your plan of action is, yes. whether it be surgery first or chemotherapy or radiation or any combination therein. Exactly. It's the size of your tumor, where your tumor is, mm-hmm. and how what the likelihood is yeah, of And you can, have, this, you can have the same type of cancer be treated with any number of ways. Um, uh, like an early stage lung cancer can be treated with just surgery, and that's it, whereas a, a more advanced lung tumor might just need chemo and radiation, and that's it. So even within a body site, you can have a different combination. Well, and it kind of gets to the whole personalized idea of why treatment is being done specific to an individual, specific to their situation. Mm -hmm. I think what we've seen in the last few years has been a move towards personalized medicine, looking at immunotherapy, looking at genetic mutations, looking at targeted areas or ways that we can treat people. Where do you see radiation treatment and radiation oncology going in the next couple of years? Um, I could see, you know, that's a, that's a great ca- question, Kathy. I feel like if I could answer that question, then I would, that's, I would know a lot winning. of okay. other things, but I, I see a few things on, on the horizon that excite me. I, I, I do like the targeted therapies on the medical oncology side. Uh, so those are the people, medical oncologists are people that give medicines, uh, they give the chemotherapy, um, so I think they might change things for us where, you know, there are tumors that are very sensitive to radiation, but you don't cure that patient because the cancer may have already spread at that point. So if you can have a cancer now be cured better systemically, then maybe controlling that disease locally actually might matter now. Whereas now we don't even try because that patient's going to pass away from something that's going to spread affect them elsewhere in their body, not at the original tumor site. So that might bring radiation back into the fold. Um, A lot of patients bring up charged particle therapy, often known as protons in the United States. Uh, So protons are, so let me take a step back. Radiation, when we talk about it in general in America, is the use of either photons or electrons. Photons are um, light, and, and the radiation that we give is a cousin of light. And it has much of those same properties. Um, but charged particles in, our, in America is, is, is protons. So it's much heavier and has different physical characteristics. The benefit of protons is that it can go into precisely where you want it to go and release all of its dose there. Whereas f- photons essentially pass through that area and release their dose not just exactly where you want it to be. The benefit of protons right now, I think, is still not is not still not proven. But as the as the technology becomes more advanced, I have to imagine the charged particles will be the future. Um, and I, I actually think in the United States, this I'm going to a very controversial area now. I don't think everybody agrees with me, and I uh, I could easily be wrong here. But I'm very excited about carbon ion radiation therapy, which is a form of charged particles that is has physical characteristics perhaps even better than protons. Um, but, you know, it's hard to read the future. Uh, I, those are the things that come to, come to my mind the most right now. Well, and it sounds like we're really going to be able to target the therapy and have less side effects mm. to the normal tissue around it. Potential. That our whole goal yeah. with radiation is get the right amount to the right location with minimal damage to anything else. Right. And that's the goal of the treatment. Right. And, you know, when I think about where we've moved within the last... 
I don't know, 10 or 15 years from being able to do small doses over an extended period of time to now being able to do targeted therapy to finding which tumors are the most responsive to it. I can only imagine that as we go forward with our treatment of cancer, this multidisciplinary approach using both medical therapy, which is chemotherapy, some people call it hormonal therapy, depending on your tumor, Mm -hmm. immunotherapy, that we really are going to get to a point where we're able to target the tumor much better than we did 20 years ago and maybe even much better than we do now. You know, it's certainly, I can see why this is a field of interest and a a passion for you to Mm -hmm. really be able to help people to treat cancer with radiation, something that a lot of folks don't necessarily know much about or feel most comfortable with. I want to thank you for sharing your expertise with us today on The Body Show. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Kathy. I really appreciate it. Oh, we'll have to do it again. There's lots more to learn. All right. If you'd like to hear this show again, you can always go ahead and find our podcast through the HPR app, or you can listen to this and any previous shows on hawaiipublicradio.org. Our engineer engineer today, David, is David Chung. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. We'll see you next time right here on The Body Show on Hawaii Public Radio. See you then.